You're listening to Stocks for Docs, a podcast to educate healthcare professionals to build wealth through value investing in the stock market. I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Stocks for Docs. I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. And thank you once again for joining us. I hope you're all doing really well and having a fabulous day. So today we're going to talk a little bit about stocks. We're actually going to talk about our first real stock pick, and I'm hoping that this is a new series that we're going to create or a sub-series within the podcast where we're going to talk about, uh, really dissect through individual stock companies and kind of talk about what the statistics are, right? So what um, the information that's out there that we are have access to, what it says about the company. Uh, we'll go through the four big values that we talked about. So we're going to talk about circle of competence, moat, management, and price for each of these companies. Um, and then come to a verdict. Uh, and of course, this you know is all based on my personal opinion as well. And just as a disclaimer, I have zero personal interest or conflict of interest with any of these companies. None of them are paying me to talk about them. Um, it's really just my own interest that's driving these picks. Um, and, and most of them will be companies that I consider within my circle of competence. So I've done the work and the research. And so I have a little bit more of an understanding about them that I can then share with you. So I purposely try to pick a pick something that's a little bit outside, maybe some of our comfort zones, but something that I think is very easily uh, understood, if you will, and grew into my circle of competence as mine increased. It might not be an obvious um, choice off the bat for someone like me, who's a physician and probably focuses more on medicine and science and um, maybe pharmaceuticals, if you will. But this is actually a company that's within the banking sector and the financial industry. Uh, And the name of the company is Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, The ticker symbol is SVB. So we're going to talk about what they do and how they do it. Do they do it well? Is it something that you want to consider within your stock portfolio or not? So let's get started. So let's do some basic descriptions of the company and then we'll go through some of our core principles. So SVB, Financial Group or Silicon Valley Bank, uh, provides loans and ancillary financial services to startups, private equity and venture capital firms. Um, So that's kind of how I came across it. It's, you know, I live in Silicon Valley, like most of you know, and it's, you know, something that I'd heard about. And then, of course, my my husband's in tech um, and he'd heard about it and so had brought it up to me a couple of times in conversation. And so that's kind of how I first heard about it and started looking into it. Um, The bank has four segments, Global Commercial Bank, SVB Private Bank, SVB Capital, and SVB Lurinic. In addition to providing loans, um, it also invests in private equity and venture capital funds. Um, And it's uh, the bank operates throughout the U.S. and also maintains some offices out in the U.K., Israel, China, and India. Its headquarters is local to me, which is in California or Northern California. They have about uh, 4,500 plus employees, so you know a good size. And like we talked about, its industry officially falls under banks and its sector would be financial. If you want to look at some of their peers that do similar things, I would say, you know, you can get a whole list, but some that I have picked out to look at was the First Republic Bank, U.S. Bank Corporation, uh, Boston Private Financial, 
uh, PNC, HDFC. Those are probably some that come up as top peers against SIVB. And so, you know, that's like a simple introduction. So that's kind of the first few things that I look at when I'm looking up a new stock. You know, what does it do? Kind of it's just it's statistics or vital signs, if you will. And then I go into sort of circle of competence. Now, this is going to be very individual, so I don't want to spend a ton of time. I'm just going to justify kind of how I ended up bringing this into my circle of competence, given that I'm not a financial person uh, by training or by expert. But as we've talked about in the past, this is something that I have um, learned on my own over the last, I would say, five or six years. And it's, you know, come out of interest. And I am very interested in... um, and startups and private equity, which is you know something that I've talked about in this podcast as well. Probably also with my husband being in tech and startup in that space, um, there's been a lot of influence there as well. And so it's definitely something that has come up in conversation, and it's something we talk about over dinner quite a bit. You know, different startup companies, different companies going IPO. Um, you know, who's raised a Series A and a Series B, and you know, these are things that we've really discussed with all the new uh, up and coming companies, especially around us living where we do live in Northern California. And so that's probably how I started to get interested in this space. And then I started to be like, okay, well, who funds these folks? You know, these are people who are new and upcoming and who takes those risks to want to fund these guys. And so that's where Silicon Valley Bank first came up. And I realized that they were a strong competitor in that space. Uh, And, you know, sort of the go-to place for a lot of these startup companies to go to, to get their initial loans and financing or capital. Um, And so I kind of understood it because I had seen it happen or had heard and read about it quite a bit for different companies um, over the last 10 years since I've been here in, in the Silicon Valley space in California. And so that's kind of how it fell into my circle of competence. It's just, I out of interest, if you will, started reading about different companies, you know, raising money and how the process works about raising a Series A and then a B and how that affects the founders and how they add investors and how equity gets distributed and things like that. And so that's for me how it fell into my circle of competence. And, you know, you kind of have to decide, I think, for yourself whether or not that is true for you? Is this something that's interesting? Remember, this is a practice that you're going to want to do for a long time. And so if it's, it should be something that you are willing and interested to look up online on a reg- regular basis, right? On a relatively regular basis where it's interesting to you. It shouldn't be boring. You shouldn't be yawning. It shouldn't be chores. It, you know, it definitely shouldn't be another thing that you have to do that you really don't want to do. Um, So I find it interesting. It works for me. So think about it for yourself, if you could get into this space or not. So that's my pitch for circle of competence. So let's move on to moat, which I think is really interesting for this particular pick. If you're talking about moat, well, I think they do a really, really great job with moat. And if I had to pick a moat, I would say that they have kind of like an innovation economy moat going. And what I mean by that is they really have planted the flag and declared themselves the go-to place for startups, early financing for businesses, private banking for services for founders. Um, You know, it's really become sort of the go-to place if you talk to people in this space when they're looking for 
loans and backing and finance to kind of grow that idea that they have and scale it and develop their products and start, you know, really ramping up into a full-sized company. And they've also recognized and done a really good job with shifting to digital products. So one, they appeal to their clients who are often, you know, in the tech space or are very tech savvy and forward. And so that will appeal to them. And one of the thoughts I had initially was, well, well, that's great when they're these young, smaller companies. Well, what happens once they get larger? You know, can they still be supported by a company or a bank like Silicon Valley? Why wouldn't they go to a larger competitor like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or something that's much bigger? And then I kind of realized, well, they have the potential to still compete. I mean, they have over $300 or $300 billion of client funds, which is a pretty significant amount. And I think that still lets them stay in the game. And at this point, they've already have a really good relationship, hopefully, with that particular client. And so they have that uh, advantage over a new bank who, who doesn't know them already. Um, so I think in that sense, they have really widened their moat and they've, you know, have this special sauce, if you will, and the special niche for this special market that really hasn't had a great competitor or another competitor in a long time. And so I think that's what keeps them special. That's what keeps them going. They've really improved within this space. They've focused and kept their market. They have their customers. They've branded themselves as a go-to person. Um, and I think that moat has really est- has been well-established and only widens or is only widening for them. So good job on that, I think, for them. But one of the ways that you can look at moat is also through looking at an EPS. And we have covered this just recently. We know what is an EPS. Uh, an EPS is earnings per share. And it really talks about how profitable a company is. And if you look at EPS, you, you know, over quarters, over a couple of years, if you notice an EPS increasing every quarter, that's a really good indication that the growth rate for that company is great. That company is growing. And that is very true for, for this particular company, for Silicon Valley Bank. If you look over the last seven years, their EPS has grown from 28% to 30% to now, I think in the last three years, about 35 So it's, you know, it keeps growing every couple of years, which is a great indicator. And it's parallel to their sales growth. I mean, their sales growth over the last seven years has also grown from 16 to 21 to 25% um, in the past couple of years. And so those both speak really well for this particular moat and for them being able to preserve their stake in this space and kind of have this durable advantage over any competitors that are in sight. So that would be my pitch, I will say, for their moat. Um, I actually read, you know, I look at, I sometimes will read about different, you know, read through financial experts. And there was this one expert, I remember in JP Morgan, who said something like, well, this was just recent in in the past uh, month, said something like that they expect that they're going to grow almost 30% just in this year and their their price or their stock price is going to hit over $700 per share. 
Um, and currently they're in the mid 500s as, as I'm doing this podcast today. You know, so they're saying over 700 in the next 18 months. Again, this is one analyst, so you can't take, you know, you can't rely on them 100%. But it's a good indicator that there's other people, you know, who are educated and who look at this stuff often who are also agreeing with your assessment. And then we go into management. So remember, we talk about management, you have your executive team, which is your C-suite, kind of the operational folks, people, and then you have the board of directors. And it's a good idea to kind of at least look at both of those and see who's represented in those spaces. So in their C-suite, they have about 13 individuals with leadership titles, three of which are women. And their CEO is a gentleman by the name of Greg Becker, who under his leadership, they really have had some remarkable achievements, I would say. Uh, They have been cited by Forbes as being among the top 10 best banks. By Newsweek, they've been reported as one of the most responsible companies out there. Uh, They've also been cited as among the top corporate philanthropy companies, which I thought was a very cool achievement. And then if you look at their board of directors, a couple of things that I noted was one, the chair of their board is Roger Dunbar, which is not their CEO. And I think I do like that. I like it when it's a different person than the CEO. And then they have a pretty broad representation of interest within their board of directors. It's not all folks from the financial industry or only experts from banking industries, but they actually have people who have a wide, pretty wide variety of expertise. There's somebody who is from Kaiser Permanente, which is cool because that's a medical sector. They actually have somebody who is uh, part of a a large winery, which I thought was really cool, kind of creative. Um, They have somebody from Coursera, uh, which is also another space or company. And uh, they even have somebody from the U.S. Treasury, which um, is a cool representation from our government sector. So I thought they did a good job picking their board of directors well. And then If you want to look at management a little bit more technically, remember there are a couple of numbers that you can look at to see how well their management has been managing their finances and managing the the company um, money. And that includes your money as an investor. You know, how are they going to spend this money? And um, remember, there's two big numbers that you can look at, ROE, return on equity and ROIC, which is return on uh, invested capital. And you want both of these to be at least close to 15%. uh, And you can average it over a 10-year period instead of just looking at it over a one-year period. But obviously, you want it to be increasing. And both of these numbers are pretty good. They're not stellar, but they're pretty good. So for the past 10 years, the ROE is about 12.7%. In the past year, it's gone up to about 15%. Uh, and the RIC is 107 in the past 10 years. And in the last year, it was about 13.5. So pretty good numbers. Again, not the best that I've seen. But, you know, it tells you that management is being responsible and spending their money and being cognizant of the investors' uh, equity and money that is being given into the company. And debt is another thing you want to look at. Again, you know, is management racking up the debt? Are they being responsible? And they've done a good job keeping their debt low. You want to keep it less than two years um, of earnings per year. And they're actually less than even a year. I think it was like 
0.91 or something when I looked it up. And so that's a good that's a good indication that they are able to manage their debt should they need to repay that. So all in all, good scores, I would say, for a management perspective. And last but not least, we have to talk about price. And so this is where it can get a little sticky sometimes. You know, I feel like I get to this point, I find a company that's really good and kind of checks all my boxes, and then I get to price and I'm like, oh no, I'm never going to be able to buy this company. Well, I'm going to well let's, well, let's talk about the price first, and then we'll talk about how I assess it. So as of today, so this is today, their stock price is $565.21 per share. If you do the calculations and you figure out the intrinsic value of the company, so this is either based on owner earnings or the 10 cap price, however you want to calculate it, you should get a sticker price. So this is just the intrinsic value of about $160. So that's the sticker price, if you will. Now remember, the margin of safety price that we would recommend as a value investor is going to be half of that, which is now bringing it down to about $80. And I hear you, I hear the groans and moans like, okay, this is never going to happen. It's never going to go down to $80. And I understand the feeling. <laughs> I will say never say never. You you know, things do happen. And the longer I have been patient in this space and in this time, I have um, been surprised, you know, when a scandal or an event or something happens, it will drop significantly. So I do think it can get down and it may do that. You may just have to wait and you may wait even years for this to happen. But I think that is the right way to do it if you're going to be a value investor and, you know, buy $10 worth of shares for $5, that's the way to do it. Um, so I'd probably put my my buying zone, you know, if you go a little bit high, a little bit low, probably between $80 to probably all the way up to, for this particular bank, I'd, I'd probably be a little bit more liberal, if you will, and probably even go up to $200 um, as far as what I would feel comfortable buying this company at if I'm going to buy and significant amount of shares as, as a value investor. Now, the other possibility that you can do and probably make a really good argument for this company in particular is, well, why don't we say, okay, well, this is a growth company, right? It's growing year after year. It's still, you know, very um, profitable year after year. So why don't, you know, instead of putting this in our value portfolio, what if we put this in our growth portfolio? Now, just as a reminder for me, make sure that about 80% of my portfolio are value companies at a value price. Um, so this is definitely could be, I think, in my opinion, considered a value company. It checks all of my boxes. It's doing really well in all of the four principles, but it's also growing really fast. And so I think it could still be a growth company. And so you can make an argument that we're going to call this a growth company and purchase it as such. And so keep it within that 20% of my portfolio. And I think that would be a smart way to go about it as well. So, you know, food for thought, think about how you want to do just, you know, I think it's a solid choice as a company. You could definitely easily put this on your watch list and, you know, hold it there for some time. Uh, but that would be my recommendation. So that's a wrap on our first episode of Stock Dissections. Um, our pick today was Silicon Valley Bank. I hope you sort of enjoyed the dissection of it and kind of how we went through understanding and assessing the company. 
Uh, if you have questions, feedback, thoughts, please, please reach out to me uh, through our website, stocksfordocs.org. I'd love to hear from you. If you agree, don't agree, uh, either way. Uh, if you are planning to buy it, how you did, how it went, I'd really um, love to hear from you. So thank you again for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Stocks for Docs is a podcast designed to educate healthcare professionals on building wealth through value investing. Take the first steps towards securing your future and listen weekly. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as Stocks for Docs.